Well, good morning, everybody. I am uh, really glad to have you with us today. I'm going to start this morning by asking you what might be the most important question in your life. Do you love Jesus? I realize that question might make you uncomfortable or startle you or convict you or you might respond, yes, I love him with all my heart. Uh, Of course, you don't have to give me your answer. But it does matter how you would answer Jesus if he came right up to you and said, do you love me? And that's what he did to Peter. He came up to Peter after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Uh, There were some unique reasons why he asked Peter that question, and why he asked him three times, but the point is this uh, that I especially want us to consider this morning. When Jesus commissioned Peter to feed my sheep, or he was commissioning Peter as his apostle and shepherd, he was interested in one thing, Peter, do you love me? He asked Peter for his love, and Jesus asks you for your love. I do believe that if Jesus were to stand up here before this church, one of the things that he would be most interested to know is, do you love me? There's a great need for workers, uh, for pastors, teachers, for helpers in the church, for people to help the poor uh, right here and around the world, but Jesus is looking for one motive in all his people, in all his workers, in all who serve him, and all who do anything for him. He is looking for people who love him. That is the qualification behind all other qualifications. Uh, Jesus doesn't ask you if you are smart or beautiful or talented or eloquent or if you have a great personality. He asks, do you love me? An old Scottish preacher, Alexander McLaren, said, Jesus Christ pleads with each of us, not primarily for our obedience, nor for repentance, nor for conduct, but for our heart. And if we give him our love, then our loyalty and service will follow. Each time that Peter answered, yes, Lord, I do love you, Jesus said, in effect, then feed my lambs or tend my flock, feed my sheep. Uh, Love for Jesus comes before doing things for Jesus. Uh, But love for Jesus does compel us to serve him, to do things for him. And Jesus had in mind certain things, especially for Peter to do, obviously. Peter had a special appointment But I believe that Jesus could have said, if you love me, then pray. Or if you love me, then go give or serve. Or if you love me, teach Sunday school. Or if you love me, go love other people. If you love me, go lay down your life for your wife and your kids. Christ wants love for him to compel or motivate everything that we do for him. I remember listening to J. Vernon McGee, and uh, 
he suggested that if uh, Peter's answer had been, no, I don't love you, then Jesus would have said, well, just forget about everything else. Because everything hung on the fact that Peter loved Jesus. I'm sure most of you have heard this story. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where, where Jesus was in the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And there was a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, and she came with a jar of very expensive perfume. And Luke says in chapter 7, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears, and she wiped his feet with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with her perfume. And the, the Pharisee, Simon, uh, condemned Jesus for letting a woman such as this do that for him or to him. But Jesus said, Simon, you did not greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her perfume. Therefore, I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. She has loved me much. You know, Simon lived a more at least outwardly righteous life and respectable life, but he didn't love Jesus much like she did. So he didn't do much for Jesus. He didn't love Jesus much, so he didn't do much for Jesus. But this woman loved Jesus much because he forgave her many sins, and because she loved him, she poured out her expensive perfume on Jesus and did all these other things, wiping his feet with her hair and with her tears because she loved him. And I don't think she worried at all about the cost of that perfume. She was moved, motivated, compelled by her love for Jesus. Her love for Jesus moved her to worship. Uh, It moved her to express that love. And the point is that love stirs us to action. If we love much, if we love him much, we will find ways to express that love for him. Laws and commands, even good commands alone, can't do that. The Apostle Paul said, uh, writing to uh, the Corinthians, he said, For the sake of your souls, I will most gladly spend my money and myself. If I love you more, will you love me less? And can't go into all the context of that verse, but basically Paul was simply saying to them, I am glad or I am happy to pour out myself for you. I'm happy to pour out even my money for you because I love you. And love is what moves us to give ourselves away and and to be happy about it, to be glad about doing it. If you love the Lord Jesus, worship and obedience will come naturally like good fruit comes from a good tree. You know, uh, in the church, I think when, when we see that people are not as interested in prayer or fellowship or serving or in coming to church or 
or worship or in the Bible or whatever we tend to think people uh, should be doing a little bit more of. We tend to think that what people need is just a kick in the pants. Or we tend to think they need just a little bit more severe sermon from the pastor. Um, But the need of the heart, the need of the heart is to love Jesus. Love is what drives the bus. Uh, Love is what compels our work and our faithfulness to Jesus and to his church. And the goal of the gospel is to get people to love Jesus. Uh, Hudson Taylor has a quote that is uh, such a good example of this truth. And Hudson Taylor said, I besought him, or in a sense I asked the Lord Jesus. I, in a sense I, I besought him or I, I pled with the Lord Jesus to give me some work for him as an outlet for my love and gratitude. Some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or however trivial. I just, I love him so much, I just want to do something for Jesus to show my love and gratitude. That's the cry of a heart that loves Jesus. From this passage in John, uh, Calvin said this about pastors from this passage. He said, no man will steadily persevere in the duties of this office unless the love of Christ shall reign in his heart heart, in such a way that he forgets himself and devotes himself entirely to Christ. On the other hand, Paul said the mark of ungodly or false teachers is that they do not love the Lord Jesus. The mark, the mark of a good, good pastors is that they love the Lord Jesus. The mark of false or ungodly teachers is that they do not love the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 gives this very severe warning. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be under a curse. Uh, Calvin went on to say this solemn close to the letter of 1 Corinthians was designed to direct them to the great and essential matter of Christianity, which is the love of the Lord Jesus. You know, we quote this verse a lot here. I do anyway, because I think it's so important from uh, 1 Peter. But Paul or Peter wrote uh, to the early Christians, he said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And two things always stand out to me about that verse. One, Peter, I mean, he, he knew, he was convinced that the people that he was writing to loved Jesus. He, did, he didn't have to say to them, I want you to love Jesus. He said, although you haven't seen him, you do love him. The early church loved Jesus. Jesus Christ. And the more that we are a New Testament church, the more that we are uh, an apostolic church, the more that we are a church that is in line with the New Testament, the more we will be a church that loves Jesus. And Peter could say to us, although you haven't seen Jesus like I have, you love him. And you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
which is the second point of that verse, that really it's our love for Jesus, even though we don't see him or haven't seen him. Physically, it's our love for Jesus that gives him inexpressible joy, uh, even in those fiery trials that Paul talked about. Without love for Jesus, the Christian life just becomes a legalism, a a forced duty. Uh, John said, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, but his commandments are not burdensome. I was reading uh, something by Sam Storms on this verse, and he said, well, what would make the commands of God burdensome? It is simply having to do something we don't want to do or we want to do something very much and then we are told not to do it. But when we love God, we want to do what pleases Him. We want to do what He wants to do. Uh, I read somewhere that there are three forms of obedience, three kinds of obedience. I have to because someone puts a gun to my head, forced obedience. I have to because it is my duty I don't like it, but I will do it basically just because I'm a responsible, obedient type of person. And third, I have to because Jesus is the joy and the love of my life. And that's, that's the motive that Christ wants for us. Uh, I don't know if you've heard uh, Augustine or Augustine's quote. I always say Augustine, but Josh says Augustine, so I'll try to, I'll try to adjust to Josh. Um, but people often quote uh, Augustine and where he said, love God and do whatever you will, or love God and do whatever you want. I don't know if many of you have heard that quote or not. It's pretty popular. And it sounds kind of shocking, uh, and, and actually I think the reason it sounds shocking is because that's not the full quote. Do you want to know what the whole quote is? Okay, well, I guess I won't tell you. No. Okay, if you do, here it is. Augustine, Augustine's full quote was, Love God and do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. You know, when you love God, you decide you're going to love Jesus. You're going to love the Lord. It just simplifies your life because that's all you're about. Uh, you, just, you just decide that, okay, I'm here to love Jesus today and tomorrow and this week. I come to church here. I'm here to love Jesus and do whatever that love for him motivates me to do or teaches me to do. I mean, there is such liberty in loving God. It just simplifies, uh, purifies. It just makes it so clear what you're supposed to do. So let's get to the real need in our lives. Uh, It's not first just to do more, pray more, read more, give more, get to church more. The real need in our hearts is to be filled with the Spirit and the fire of the gospel to have hearts that love the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that's the first and the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, of course, he said the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't totally separate those commands. But there is an order. He does say first. Loving God is first. And everything else will flow from that. So how do we become people who love 
God first and most and with this kind of totality, this total love with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Well, first, we respond to the love God has for us. It all starts with God's love for us. I mean, if it didn't, what, I, what I've been preaching to you, what I've been teaching you this morning, could be like this unbelievable, heavy, impossible burden. But it starts with God's love for us. Um, the Christian life actually begins with us not loving God at all. He loved us. Christ died for us while we were yet enemies. So the Christian life begins with us not loving God at all. And John said, it is not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love him because he first loved us. So our salvation and our safety with God is not earned by how strong our love for God is, but it is based on his love for us and what he did for us because he loved us. He loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation or a, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God's love for you this morning is, is not based on how much love you feel for him at a given moment. He loved you before you ever even thought of loving him. He loved you first, and it all starts with that. Again, I'm going to quote Alexander McLaren. Uh, we have a gospel that is worth preaching because we can come to men who have no love in their hearts and say, brothers, listen to this. You have to bring nothing. You do not have to originate affection for God. You have nothing to do but simply receive the everlasting love of God in Christ, his son, no one loves God except one who has first learned that God loves him or her. And that's why the emphasis, even though we're talking primarily here about our affection for Jesus, about loving the Lord, uh, but, but the emphasis in, in, in the Bible really is on God's love for us. And that's the emphasis uh, throughout the new covenant is the love that God has for us. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said, We thank God for you, brothers, who are loved by the Lord. Who are we? We are those who are loved by the Lord. We are brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. We thank God for you who are loved by the Lord. Uh, the Apostle John said, We have believed and have come to know the love that God has for us. I mean, it's, it's, that, that is, uh, that's, that's who we are. That's what we are. We are people who first have, have believed the love that God has for us, and we've come to know it or come to experience it. And that's how we learn to love God and fall in love with Jesus. Uh, we look at God suffering for us in Christ on the cross, God in Christ mocked for us, beaten for us, rejected for us, bleeding for us, becoming cursed for us, dying for us, and we see real love. 
We see someone who loves us totally, deeply, and at any cost to himself. And so we are moved, stunned, compelled to love him back. And our indifference toward God is changed into a passionate love for God. And God's love becomes the driving force of our lives. That's what Paul meant when he said the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Second, we are able to love God because God puts that love in us. Um, And by the way, I'm intermingling talking about love for God and love for the Lord Jesus. Um, Love for God equals love for the Father, for the Lord Jesus, and for the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're, we're talking about primarily from the passage in John, do you love Jesus? Uh, but it's, it's all one and the same in the sense uh, loving God, loving the Son, the Lord Jesus, and loving the Holy Spirit. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, and you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Interesting. The Lord your God will circumcise or change your hearts so that you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So if you want to know what God is doing inside you, I mean, he's, he's doing many things and he's speaking many things into you, but at the very core of what God is doing inside of you, he is working on you and in you to cause you to compel you to love him with all of your heart and with all your soul galatians uh, 4 6 says that god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father Um, god puts that in you god puts that cry in you for the father Um, god god gives you uh, this attachment in your heart this love in your heart for God the spirit of Jesus has come into your heart to cause you to love the father just like Jesus loves the father he creates in your heart a longing a desire a love for your heavenly father and he removes the fear uh, the spirit of slavery Paul says in Romans 8 he removes the fear the apprehension Uh, the sense of bondage or rejection, and he stirs your heart, he warms your heart with love for God so that you cry out, Abba, Father. And I think this is a great encouragement just to give ourselves over to loving God because the Holy Spirit is at work in you crying out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is working into you that love. You know, maybe you... Uh, know someone, some other Christian, uh, or you've read a, a Christian biography and you think, well, that person really loves Jesus or that person really loved Jesus. I wish I loved the Lord like that. Well, if you have the Holy Spirit, he's the same, pers- same spirit that other person has. 
And all you need to do is just give yourself over totally, yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Respond to those Holy Spirit promptings to love the Lord with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Then because our love for the Lord is a response to His love for us, we need to pray for a greater revelation, a greater understanding of God's love. Um, We grow in our love to God or toward God by a greater revelation of His love for us. Uh, God's love for us is so great it's, it's so far beyond any kind of love we've ever heard of or known or experienced in this world or in this life. We need help to be able to see it and understand it and comprehend it. Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, I keep asking that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing God. And he mentions several things that are a part of that, about things that we need to know about God. Uh, but that word that's revelation there, it's, it's actually apocalypse. And it means an unveiling or uncovering or a revealing I mean, it's the same word that is used for the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the apocalypse, uh, the revelation of John. And so this is a prayer for, for God to uncover something, to reveal something to us. Uh, it's a prayer for, for God to show you something that you just couldn't see or understand before. It's, it's not the kind of revelation that is new or different from what's in the Bible. We're certainly not talking about that. I hope nobody would, would uh, stretch what I'm saying to, uh, to that. It's, 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 it's God showing us something that we really need to know that he's probably told us many, many times or he's said over and over in different places in the word, but we just never have got it. Just, it just never, we just never have owned it. It's never become ours. You know, Paul used the same word, revelation or apocalypse, in uh, Philippians 3.15. He said, all of us who are mature should embrace this point of view. He was teaching them something, and he said, everybody that's mature should, uh, should just accept what I'm saying. But then he said, but if you think differently, God will reveal this to you as well. God will apocalypse this to you as well. And so he was, just, he was just saying, you know, I'm confident that God will show you this. And so that's what he's praying for. We need God to reveal or to unveil his love to us. And we all need it, uh, every single one of us. So, some of us, um, for whatever reason, uh, perhaps some things in our past, perhaps some things that we've gone through or are going through, some of us really desperately need it. A revelation, an, an, an unveiling of how deep and how high, how wide and how long is the love of God. 
And that's what Paul goes on to pray for in chapter 3. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge or surpasses understanding so that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Uh, Again, the love of God is so big, so strong, so above and beyond any other kind of love that we actually have to pray for revelation to be able to understand it. We have to pray for a work of the Spirit inside of us to fully comprehend it. You know, when I was a little boy, uh, my mother used to wake us up in the morning by playing a song on the record player. And there was a, one song that I really liked, and I hadn't heard her play it for a long time, so uh, I was asking her, I kept asking her to play that song that says, We Shall Run Around. Well, my mother finally figured out the words were, to that song were not, We Shall Run Around, but in the New Jerusalem, We Shall Wear, wear a Crown. But you know what? I couldn't grasp the idea of wear, wearing a crown in the New Jerusalem as a little boy. Just, just too far outside of my experience. And so all I could hear was, we shall run around. And that was just where I was at in life. And I, I really think that same kind of thing is true as a lot of, of a lot of Christians. It just, it ha- that happens to many of us. God says, I love you. And it just doesn't register. It just doesn't go beyond the words. It doesn't, we, we don't comprehend it. Um, it doesn't register because we're so focused on our own issues or our own feelings or our feelings of rejection or jealousy or insecurity and we don't hear, we don't really hear in our heart and receive in our heart God's love. Because we're just living in another realm. And that's why we need to pray for revelation, for our ears to be open, for the eyes of our heart to see the love that God has for us. And that's personally why I... Uh, Pray a lot of the Psalms, like Psalm 143.8, and I hope you have not get tired of me quoting this verse, but let the morning bring, bring me word of your unfailing love. I pray that a lot. Um, and I think we should. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Or Psalm 90, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. These are basically prayers to know and experience the love of God. And we should pray, we should pray like that because we need that. We, we need God to help us understand his love we, and, and to, to, to help us have this heart experience of being satisfied with the love of God. And, you know, I just ask you this morning, in your heart, honestly, just before God, again, you don't have to answer this to me, but in, in your heart are are you deeply and richly satisfied with the love of God? You know, if you could use more of that, uh, pray, pray that prayer. Start, start praying that prayer in the morning. Satisfy me, O Lord, in the morning 
with your loving kindness. And we grow in our, our love for God by thinking about his love for us. Uh, just by meditating on it, dwelling on it. Uh, Don Moen has a, an old song, uh, Maranatha, I wish I could sing it for you, but it just starts out, think about his love. Such a beautiful song. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. What do you think about? I mean, what are you thinking about? Just check and see. Are, are you thinking about his love that is so great? Um, anyway, yeah, we need to, do just set our minds on his, on his love. There's this word loving kindness or it's translated steadfast love or unfailing love. Uh, the Hebrew word hesed, it's, it's, tr- it's found 128 times just in the book of Psalms. God wants us to think about his love. And there is a choice involved. I mean, we come to, to love Jesus by choosing to love Jesus. I mean, it is a choice. I mean, P- Jesus said, do you love me? And you, every man and woman, every boy, girl, teenager, um, everybody has to, has to make that choice. It's not something that somebody else can do for you. Um, do you love Jesus? You, it's, it's, a cho- it's a choice, a decision that you make that I, I okay, yeah, I, I want to be a man or a woman. I want to be a boy or a girl. I want to be somebody who loves Jesus with all my heart. You make that choice. And there is a place for repenting uh, when we've lost the zeal or the fire of that love for Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you have persevered and endured many things for the sake of my name, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And then he, he told them to repent. Uh, interestingly, the church at Ephesus uh, they were, they were one of the churches, not all the churches, but they were one of the churches that had sound teaching or sound doctrine. They were very sound in their, what they believed. They did good works. They endured hard, thi- hard things. But they had lost, somehow they had lost the first love that they had for the Lord and for each other. The solution Jesus gave them was pretty simple. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen interesting you know sometimes we just we, we just have to take an accurate assessment and we just have to look at how far we have fallen and then repent and re- perform the deeds that you did at first or love like you did at first and show it in your actions so there is a time to get on our knees and face the reality that we have not loved Jesus like we should, or we've not loved other people like we should, or like we did at first, when our heart was first stirred or on fire for the Lord. And we need to re- just to repent of that, to change from that, and go, go back to uh, stirring up that first love and the actions that went along with it. All right, then I'm going to close this morning by uh, just summarizing uh, two ways that we do show our love for the Lord. We've addressed these to some degree, but uh, I just want to clarify them. Ultimately, we show our love for the Lord by obedience. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. In John 14, uh, 23 and 24, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, if, you, if you love Jesus, uh, just let that translate into, wow, I want to please him, obey him, everything that I know and understand that he wants me to do. And again, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He went on to tell him, in, in essence, okay, if you love me, Peter, then live that out. Uh, if you love me, go take care of my people. Uh, feed my sheep. And the application is the same for us. If, if, you, if you love Jesus, go live that out. Uh, go care what, about what he cares about. Go and love people. Go and love his church. Serve people. Build them up. Uh, give, love, pray. Take care of your family. Go do your job as unto him. Uh, and, and much, much more. Uh, do, do it because you love him. And then I, second, and I, I think this is important, and, and I think it's very, very much overlooked in the church, uh, is this. Uh, show your love to the Lord by telling him that you love him. Tell the Lord Jesus that you love him. Just make that a part of your prayer life. Know, uh, of course, you don't love him absolutely perfectly, neither did Peter. Uh, Peter had denied he even knew Jesus just a few days earlier. But now he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, I think that was important for Peter to say, to verbalize, to express to Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Uh, David begins Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Um, I, th- I just think it's so important to, to be able to express that. Of, co- you know, of course, it would be hollow if, you have, you know, if it isn't accompanied by obedience, but still it's really important to be able to say to the Lord, I love you, Lord. Um, you know, guys, you don't go around telling your wife how much you don't love her. Do you? I hope not. Uh, you practice speaking and acting as a loving husband. Words matter. And God tells us that he loves us over and over. And we should respond just like Peter. Yes, Lord, I love you. So my prayer this morning is that may uh, the spirit of love for the Lord fall upon this church. Uh, in a mighty and powerful way. And just may we be a church that truly and honestly loves Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So be it.